God, thank you that you're always by our side. God, there's nothing uh, outside of your will that can happen to us. God, you, um, you control us. You're sovereign over us. I pray that we would rest in that. Uh, we would rest in your power and your love. And I pray that you would uh, speak through your word. You would speak through Michael. You would open our hearts, open our eyes, uh, just to grow closer to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We have uh, several things I want to make you aware of this morning. And while I'm doing that, we are going to be in Psalm 103 this morning. You can be turning there. There is an outline in the bulletin. I don't know if there's any back left on the table or not. If anyone, you can uh, grab one of those. But we'll be in Psalm 103. Uh, let me just give you a heads up about December. Several things going on a little out of the ordinary. Um, the 16th, which is two, three Sunday, two Sundays from now. Three Sundays from now, Bo says. I don't know. December 16th, uh, the kids are going to do their Christmas musical. And there will be no second hour. We'll also do some congregational singing as well. And a uh, short little kind of devotion. That'll be December 16th, so come prepared for that. And just so you're not confused, we will be completely turned around because the Christmas musical stage will be up there. So we'll, we might even put some chairs up here and like have it like it be a balcony. And if you're really special and good that week, we'll let you sit up here, I think, maybe. Uh, candlelight Christmas Eve service, December 24th. That's 5 p.m. here. Uh, short 30 to 45 minutes or so. Love to have you here. And then December 30th, last Sunday of the year. Again, no second hour. We're going to have just a time of some singing, uh, but also some uh, sharing testimony of what God has done in the past year as well as what God's going to do in the future, and a, a time for fellowshipping with that. Oh, and there's also going to be food, a brunch. Instead of, it's fifth Sunday, normally we eat lunch. We're going to have a brunch starting at 10 o'clock, so bring breakfasty, lunchy type food, which is what a brunch is, right? We'll eat at 10, so don't eat breakfast at home. Come here, and then we'll uh, do some sharing and praying together. That's on the 30th, and again, no second hour that week as well. Psalm 103. Uh, just going to look at five verses this morning. Psalm 103, the first five verses. Let me read those and then we will talk about them. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Bible speaks in numerous places about the need for God's people to be thankful. And as we have just celebrated Thanksgiving, I want to encourage us this morning, remind us um, as we move beyond Thanksgiving as we kind of put that aside and get ready to celebrate uh, the coming of, of our Savior, the birth of Christ, I don't want us to move beyond thanksgiving in our attitudes, in the way that we relate to each other, especially in the way we relate to God. It's good to celebrate the holiday of thanksgiving. It's good to, in our prayers, be thankful. It's good to have in an inner attitude, an attitude of, of gratitude, but Thanksgiving is so much more than that. It is those things, but it goes beyond that. 
And I think this, these first five verses uh, will inform us of that this morning and help us to see um, how far beyond just those things Thanksgiving really is. That beyondness, if you want to say, that going beyond just, just saying thanks, uh, is wrapped up in a word the Bible uses, bless. Your version may say, praise the Lord in verse 1. Um, well, think about that word. Uh, someone sneezes, we say, bless you. And my fear is, is that we've taken that meaning or that lack of meaning. And when we say, bless the Lord, does it really mean anything? And the answer is, yes, it does. And it means a whole lot. It's a very rich word. Um, maybe we often think of, of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks with the Lord. But this is a different word. That word means literally happy. Happy is the person who follows God. This is a different word. At its, at its root, it, it means strength or special power, but this form of the word here in verse 1 means to declare that someone else is the source of my strength or my power. To declare that someone else is the source of my strength and my power. So you could say this in this way. Verse 1, David writes, he's talking to himself. Self, declare that God is the source of your strength. Declare that God is the source of your power. And it's not just, he, he's not just saying to that with his mouth because he says... My soul, and then in the second line, all that is within me. The idea of soul in, in Hebrew thought was the whole person, all of the person. The idea that's in Deuteronomy 6, um, where it talks about that we love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our might. And then Jesus adds to that our mind. Every part of you should declare that God is the source of your strength, your, your abilities, your wisdom, your intellect, your skills. All that we are, we should declare that God is the source of that strength or that power. And then if, in case we missed it, in verse 2 he says it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he adds, and forget none of His benefits. Don't forget. It's not just that, that we bless everything. There's, don't leave anything out. All that you are, all that you have, all that you've accomplished, all that you will accomplish is because of the fact that God has been good to you. Any clever idea that you had that allowed you to succeed in something, the source of that is God. Your physical skills that allows you to create or build or love or hold or protect, that comes from God. Will we declare that He is the source of our strength? Do all of our lives point to God or do they point to me? Do my words point to me or do they point to God? Do my actions point to me or do they point to God? Do my attitudes point to me 
or do they point to God? It's so easy to want to, in our pride and our and our lust for recognition, to want to pat ourselves in the back, to want to make ourselves appear important in someone else's eyes. And that's one of those things that that as believers that we have got to put to death, and it's hard. Just think about any conversation you've had in the last week or last month where, where you've felt the need to insert some information to make yourself look a little better. Something that you wanted someone to know about yourself. And were you doing that so that you would look better or so that God would look better? Do we declare that God is the source of our strength or do we declare that we are the source of our strength? That it's all about me or that it's all about God? We need to be hard on ourselves in this area. Do we give praise and honor and glory to God or to ourselves? And then David reminds us some of those things that God has done for us. That, that maybe we're tempted to think, oh, I've accomplished that or I've done that. Especially in, in Hebrew thought, especially in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. Look what I've brought to God. David reminds his readers and reminds us as well that our restored relationship to God is basically dependent upon God. Look at verse 3. In the beginning of verse 4. Who pardons all our iniquities. Who heals all our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. That word iniquity is interesting. It, it doesn't just refer to the act, the sin, but the consequences of that sin. Um, not the physical consequences. We live with those. When we... When we do horrific sins, sometimes there are horrific consequences. And forgiveness sometimes will not get rid of those. We reap what we sow at times. But it's talking about the consequence of guilt. He not only forgives the action that we've done, but God forgives, forgives the guilt. Forgives the debt we owe because of that action. And that's good news. We don't do that. We don't somehow muster up enough energy and enough strength or bring all the right sacrifices to ultimately forgive the payment that we owe God. God did that for us. The next line, who heals all your diseases. This one causes me a little bit of trouble at first because I, I know some very godly people that aren't healed from all of their diseases. So is David just being using hyperbole here? Is, is he, maybe his faith is bigger than my faith or some of my friends' faith. But what's interesting is, is this is a fairly uncommon word for disease or illness. In fact, it only occurs four other times in the entire Old Testament. And so for David to pick that word as opposed to the common word for illness or disease, then he's doing that on purpose. One of the times that appears, it's, uh, it's used as a land that has been diseased because God has cursed it. 
two other times it's used for people who have diseases or illness because of a famine, because of God's judgment. The other time it's used of a, a king in the Old Testament who God has judged with a disease. Every other time in the Old Testament, that word is associated very closely with judgment. And so for David to pick that word as opposed to the common word for disease, it seems that he's importing that meaning as well. When God has healed us of our diseases. He's healed us of the disease of judgment. And it fits in with what David's saying. In Hebrew, in poetry, often... The second line is a rephrasing of the first line. So when he says, He pardons all your iniquities, He heals all your diseases, it's the consequence of that sin that is judgment. And God has healed us of that. He's allowed us to, to come into His presence as David writes, in, as we read in Psalm 32, when I confessed my sin... I came into His presence and confessed my sin. His whole demeanor, His whole attitude, His whole life had changed. It went from groaning and sorrow and wasting away to rejoicing and wanting to tell others about who God was. In the beginning of verse 4, He also, as David's talking to Himself, He redeems your life from the pit, from the grave. He rescues him from ultimate death. And all three of those ideas, that forgiveness of sin, that removal of the consequence of guilt or judgment, that ultimate redemption from death, combines together to talk about a restored relationship with God that you and I can't do. And David says we should bless God for that. We should declare that He is the source of the fact that I have redemption, that I have new life, that I have the ability to come into His presence at all. Are we willing to give God credit where credit is due? And that's part of what we do when we celebrate communion. We, we come together as a body, and we take the bread and the fruit of the vine and we testify about Christ's death to each other and to anybody else that's watching that because of what He's done, I can stand and be thankful. Because of what He's done and, and when we stand and testify to His death, we're testifying that we identify with that death that we have died to sin. It's no longer master over us. And so we're going to stop halfway through this song as we're focusing on our, our restored relationship with Christ. And we're going to partake together. We're going to give thanks. We're going to bless God that He has restored our relationship with Him through the death of His Son. He gave His body, He gave His blood that you and I might have life and might be able to have the strength, the breath, the intellect, the understanding to understand His Word that we might bless Him and praise Him. What's rather amazing 
is that the good news doesn't stop there. It's not just that we give thanks, that we declare that God is the one who has restored our relationship with Him, but that He continues to want to have a relationship with us. That we, because of what He's done, our relationship continues to be not only that it exists, but it's vibrant and it's full. Look at the second half of verse 4. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That word crown literally means to place a wreath on someone's head. But figuratively it means to surround without losing the idea of honor. So David could have written, God honors you by continually surrounding you with His loving kindness and compassion or mercy. That word can be translated. Loving kindness, sometimes your Bible might say, His loyal love. It's not just the love that we feel for another, it's His loyalty to us. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We think of what loyal is in, in human relationships. Maybe we think of a husband and a wife who've been married 50 years. But we talked about that that husband who made a vow to God to love his wife, and who's aware of Ephesians 5, that he would love his wife as Christ loved the church, inevitably will fail at that. Because occasionally, maybe even rarely, he will do something out of selfishness. And that's not what God is like at all. His loyalty is, is always faithful. He's always loving us. And as we go through life, we have that promise, that commitment that the God of the universe that began to love us will continue to love us. And that word mercy or compassion, not getting what we do deserve. <laughs> we deserve judgment. We deserve His wrath. And yet, He surrounds us with mercy. We don't get what we deserve based on His character. Based on the fact that, that He promised, because of what His Son did for us, that we would be His forever, for eternity. So how do, we, how do we declare that God is the one that, that buoys me along in life by that encouragement, by His loyalty, by His compassion or mercy? I think one of the ways we do that is to exhibit that characteristic to the world. Because see, if if I didn't understand love from God's perspective, then my definition of love would be given to me through the media, the movies, the music. And that definition of love is, yeah, I'll hang out with you until you disappoint me, then I'm going to move on to someone else. But John reminds us that we love because he first loved us. So one of the very practical ways for us to declare that God is the source of, of what keeps me going day in and day out through His encouraging love and mercy and compassion is for me to treat other people that way. 
Because that's different than the way the world will treat them. Because the world, see, wants to give people what they deserve. When you mess up, I want to judge you. When you offend me, I want to get you back. I like vengeance. I like revenge. I like setting things right. And I certainly don't like loving you unconditionally. I will love you as long as you meet my needs. And so when we act differently than that, when we show compassion to the world, when we show love to the world, when we do that unconditionally, then that's a declaration because that's not normal. It's a declaration that there's something other than humanity living through me. Because humanity doesn't live that way. And then verse 5, who satisfies your years with good things. Talk about that word satisfaction for just a moment. Are you satisfied with what God has done in your life and for your life? There are four really dangerous words in the English language. If I just had. If I just had, you fill in the blank, then I would be happy, then I would be content, then I would be satisfied. But are we satisfied with the good things that God has given us? Starting with our salvation. Starting with His continued pursuit of us. And with the provision that He's given us. Or do we need something else to say, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. And one of the ways we declare that to the world is in contentment. But not feeling like we have to keep up with the Joneses. But not feeling like I have to have the latest or the newest or the next upgrade. That I'm content. And that in and of itself is a declaration to the world that there is some strength or power besides my own humanity that's living because humanity says, if I just had, then I would be. And so by our lives, can we declare that God is the source of our strength and our power to live in contentment? So what is the result of that? If we... Bless the Lord. If we are in the habit of declaring that God has or God is the source of our strength, we read the end of verse 5. So your youth is renewed like the eagle. Literally, that says, You renew yourself like the eagle. By giving up all claim to Look what I've done. By ascribing everything that you have that's good to God, you are actually renewed. You're restored. You gain vitality. You don't give it up by verbally and by your actions, by giving up claim to who you are. You actually are renewed. And the reason you're renewed is because 
You've allowed your soul to let go of what it thinks it needs on this earth. You're freed to live in the abundance of what God has chosen to give you, even if no one around you or yourself struggles with thinking, is that abundance? Your soul is, is, is set free from the holds, from the bonds, from the desires of this world. And you're renewed. And you can soar like an eagle because you're not chained to what this world says you have to have. Prestige and power and pride and recognition. And someone else always patting me on the back for what I've done. When you're willing to, to let it go and say, God, it's all because of you. Your soul is renewed. And you are lighter than air. Like an eagle who can just spend a long, long time soaring without even bothering to flap his wings because he just rides on the air currents. You've seen that picture. And that's what your soul can be like. And so my encouragement to you as we step away from Thanksgiving and step towards the beginning of the celebration of, of Advent, the coming of our Savior, would you not forget to be thankful? And part of what it means to be thankful is not just having an attitude, an inward attitude of gratitude, but a, a declaration by your words and your life that not only am I thankful, but God is the source of who I am, of all that I have, and all that I will be. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your graciousness to us. Thank You for Your blessings and the hope that You give us. God, and may we be a people who, instead of fostering complaint or a people that testifies to the world that, that You are good and that we are thankful to You. As we go from this place today, may we be a people individually and collectively that honors You for what You've done. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.